an Alaskan bullworm. <laughs> And I'm Sarah. And this is Run How Fast Can You. Uh, So anyway, I've been watching uh, SGN, which is some good news. And it's uh, a series of videos put out by John Krasinski, who is Jim on The Office. And which is something you should know. If you haven't watched The Whole Office over this break, what are you really doing with your life? Yeah, really. Why did you, why did we even all do this? So yeah, anyway, the the big thing is that he finds, like, people send him videos, and it's a lot of videos of, like, babies being born, and good things happening in the world, and people supporting each other, and... There's videos um, of babies being born? Well, no, not while the babies are being born, but... <laughs> or at least that's what the episode I watched... Um, and they focused on all the babies being born, you know, cute pictures and people coming up to sliding doors to, to meet their grandchildren and all that. And weddings. So then the other thing was weddings. Um, and there was a couple that duplicated uh, Pam and Jim's proposal on the office. And so uh, he not only interviewed them, which was pretty sweet. And let's not lie, the woman in that, the, the, the bride, was way too excited. She really wanted to be marrying John Krasinski not no she really she wanted to be marrying jim that's right you're right she wanted to be she really wanted to be marrying jim helpert but anyway so first he interviewed them and then he brought on jenna fisher who is pam and then they cut to the entire office cast redid the ridiculous scene of of their wedding with the song and ridiculous dancing it was pretty cool was pretty <laughs> which cool. means it's a, a viral video from of an office episode of a viral video from like 2007 i was gonna say why did we bring that up? <laughs> you were supposed to use that as an intro to say. So we wanted to share a bit of our good news as the be- as we start this podcast this week. That was the point of that. So do you have any good news? To- <laughs> Match the energy. Well, some good news is that masses are going to start coming back soon. That is something that I'm hopeful for. I actually have a staff meeting this week. Um, this should well. I'll have had a staff meeting by the time this comes out to talk about how we can physically distance at mass and how we can start um, having weekday masses. And uh, I'm really looking forward to that. I'm not so much the staff meeting; that'll be all right. But I'm looking forward to getting back together and and actually getting to mass. My good news, my personal good news. Um, I went into work maybe last Saturday, something like that. I needed a book from my bookshelf there, and uh, no one was really around except maintenance guys. Which thank God for them working because I. I don't know that I could have done what they're doing during the pandemic. I think it would have driven me crazy. Thanks, Joe and John. <laughs> yeah, and thanks, Keith and, and the whole staff at our place. But no one was really there but the maintenance staff, so I snuck over into the church and was just uh, decided I was going to spend some time with the Lord because it's been, I mean, literally two months, I think, since I've gotten to go to church. And it just, it was amazing. It literally, without being too cheesy about it, it kind of felt like like an overwhelming wave of radiation just being in the presence of the tabernacle. Like, it's been that weird to be distant from the church. So that was, that was some good news in my life. What about you? Well, I, I mean, I guess the, the best news is that, that we can go back to Mass. Now, the obligation, our obligation is still waived. 
but we have the opportunity, which, which is really nice. It will be really nice to, to just get back to a normal, a normal practice um, and, and having the opportunity to, you know, encounter the literal Christ. You know, one of the things um, I, I thought early on um, was, you know, it, it, it became pretty clear to me how, how much I take for granted you know, in my day to day, I'm, I am someone who just does not enjoy, uh, the, the tedium of day to day. It just, I don't know. I think it weighs on me. So, you know, it's super easy to not see the value in things. And, and while I really do love mass and I really do love adoration and really, you know, really have, have grown into a fondness of the Eucharist over the years. Um, there is, you know, there is the fact of, you know, I've, got to get the baby in the car seat and he doesn't want to wear socks ever, but it's freezing because we live in apparently the North pole because it snowed in May and you know, all that stuff adds up. You got to fight traffic, but you know, now when I get on the road, there's, there's nobody, there's nobody. So it's, there's so much that, that I found to be annoying that I think, um, I don't know. I think that now having it taken away, I think it, it, uh, it, I can view it in a different perspective and I don't think I'm going to be the only one. Your good news is a new perspective on Mass, maybe? What's your good news? Give me some good news for the week. Oh, my good news was Mass, too. I mean, is there a better news than that? Well, no, but that's it's subjective. Give me something something else has positive that happened in your life. Oh, well, I made art. That was cool. Oh, yeah. We had Tim Hortons this week. Oh, shoot. We yeah, went on a, a, a pilgrimage to Ashland. We have a, a one of the many fun facets in our relationship is that Sarah and I make pilgrimage to get donuts because Tim Hortons reminds us of Canada and other places we've gone on trips. So every once in a while, if we if we have the wanderlust, if we just want to, you know, get out and get away for a little bit, but not not too long, we'll take the hour and a half, two hour drive uh, and go get Tim Hortons. Because for some reason, Tim Hortons feels the need to exist in Toledo and Erie, Pennsylvania and Ashland and Columbus, but not Cleveland. And so we were bored on Saturday and decided we wanted some Timmy Hose and drove and got some. And it was a great decision. Tim Bits. Yes, so I was very happy with that. Timmy Hose, Tim Bits, and Tim Hortons coffee. Very oh, solid so decision. Good. So good. So good. And Ashland has like only two cases of Corona, so it was a double good. Like we weren't even going to the belly of the beast to get these donuts. As of my brief search on Saturday, my quick Google search. All right, so that's our good news for the week. I've had a topic brewing in my mind for for a couple weeks that I've been trying to distill and to figure out how to talk about. Uh, and I think this is the way I'm, I'm thinking of it. I, I had this, I thought that we have two very different ways of thinking about the saints. Um, and my question is, is the modern way we depict saints, like, would that have been sufficient to convert Ignatius? Uh, and I say that because um, if you go to Ignatius or if you went to Ignatius, you know the story of St. Ignatius of Loyola super well. We actually, we visited both the Church of the Jesu and the Church of St. Ignatius in Rome. We got to see the grand reveal which was, it sounded really cool, like the floor opened up. That was how the, the pamphlet was described to us. But when we got there, at like 5 p.m., there's this picture, and there's grand fanfare music, and the picture comes down, and there's a gold and silver statue of Ignatius behind it. Uh, because the Jesuits are extra like that, and, and have weird, cool things like that. Anyway, I digressed before I made my initial point. That's okay. In the story of Ignatius, one of the like prime facets of his story is this conversion. He's a soldier. The whole thing about his young life is he just, he loves the courtly life and he wants to be a knight and he wants to have all the fancy clothes and bet all the women. And like, like Ignatius was just like playboy of the early 1500s. And, and yet he takes a cannonball to the knee. And then the only books available when he's convalescing are the life of Christ and the life of the saints. 
And I used to be a warrior like you. And, <laughs> and then, then I, I took, took a, a cannonball, cannonball to the knee. That's some 10-year-old Dead memes. Meme. Dead memes for you. But the stories of the saints really gripped him of you had these men and women who led, led exemplary lives of holiness, the type of lives that not only competed with, but actually seemed better than and more impressive than these amazing knights and all the feats of military strength they had. And I just don't, I don't know that we talk about saints in the same way anymore. And so I was intrigued by the fact of, um, are we telling the story of saints correctly? Um, is there a right or a wrong way to talk about holiness and saints? Like, are, are, do we find the stories of saints compelling? And I don't know, there's a lot to talk about there. So I think Sarah has a unique take on saints. Yeah, so I, I you know, so I grew up in, in Catholic school. And of course, we, where I went every, it seemed like three times a year rather than once a year, we watched Song of Bernadette, which is a really awesome movie, except when you see it six times. I've never seen it. It's, it's, it's actually really good. It's worth watching. Um, but having seen it like a million times before I turned 14, like, eh. Um, so I, I think, you know, I took from those old movies this kind of very dry, very faded, very dull, um, you know, almost immaculately lacquered, you know, uh, view of saints that they're, there's, they are truer, I think, at least in my mind, the, the version of saints that was presented to me was closer to the statue than the person, um his or herself. So um, I just was not really a big fan of saints. And I think I, I talked about, um, you know, maybe on another podcast that really kind of changed it for me was reading Come Be My Light, um, you know, by Mother Teresa. Um, and she was like the queen of the lacquer saints for me um, because she was this perfect woman who did all this stuff and, oh, she helped the poor and, oh, she's in India. Yeah, and anyone, anytime anyone tries to illustrate a modern saint, they're like, Mother Teresa, Mother Teresa. she hung out with the poor in India and, like, like totally just, just well, whitewash is the wrong word, but totally, uh, we'll call it gold wash. Can we use yeah, that? Ooh, I like I'm going to coin a term. Like totally gold wash the story of Mother Teresa where everything is is light and, and levity and holiness um, and, and really just kind of, yeah, paint with paint her where she looks like a holy picture or a holy statue rather than a person. Right. And so, yeah, it felt like she had no personality and that if I sat down with her, like every word would be like, oh, yes, isn't everything wonderful? Um, but Come Be My Light, which is her journals, um, shows exactly the opposite. Um, that she suffered. She suffered a lot. And I'm not just talking about, you know, poverty. There's the story that she always chose um, the last of the shoes um, among the sisters. So she got the smallest and her feet were all messed up from it. Um, but not just that, she had, she went through the dark night of the soul. And so she was, she was in a lot of emotional pain, a lot of spiritual pain um, and, and terrible loneliness. So that I, I really, that kind of broke through the statue, mm. kind of flaked off the gold for me. My favorite quote, and I think this illustrates it, is uh, at one point she says, God, you know, why are you doing this to someone so small? That's like my life's motto. But okay, go yeah. ahead. No, and Mother Teresa's Dark Night of the Soul. So the Dark Night of the Soul is... Uh, a period of spiritual desolation where kind of, you know, you know God is present, but you don't feel him. Um, and so a lot of saints who have these like strong mystical prayer lives go through a period of their lives where they really intensely feel God or, or you know, they've heard that God is blessing, a, blessing their ministry or blessing in their lives in a certain way. And then after that intense spiritual experience, sometimes it goes away. Well, Mother Teresa spent you know, the last 20 years or 30 years of her life, something like that. Maybe 30 years is too long, but 
a good long last portion of her life where she just didn't feel the presence of God. She, you know, felt that she was doing the right thing. She had heard God's call to to go to Calcutta and to start the Missionaries of Charity, uh, but she just didn't feel God's presence, and that was so hard on her, so hard for her to, to live life that way. But she still, what, what I find really endearing, and sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, it's all right, perfect. Um, what I find really endearing is that she did it anyway. You know, if you want if you want an example of, and yet she persisted, it's Mother Teresa. I mean, it truly was. If you read her her journals, she was in tons of pain. It, it was it was just shattering to her. It, it shattered her core. But she didn't get bitter. She didn't walk away. She had every right to, you know, say, you know, forget this. Go back to, um, oh my gosh, Albania, where she was from, and see her family. Um, but she didn't. She had every right to say, you know what, God, you know, I've done all this stuff, and apparently it's not enough for you to drop me a line. You know, forget this. She didn't. So I, I find that that is what the the nitty gritty to me, the the rubber where the rubber meets the road, where it gets really hard, but they they uh, persevere anyway. That that is is where the witness is uh, particularly. I don't want to say valuable. I guess maybe I mean touching to me. Uh, it gets through to me. Mother Teresa to me is is sort of a, a prime example of this this type of saint storytelling that I don't that I'm questioning right now. Um, I think Ooh. I think yeah I think we have this way of of liking to tell the like dark gritty backstory of the saints to make them more relatable. Love it. Um, and and some people I think resonate with that. Sarah had the, ha- always has this notion of like wanting to be or resonating with these saints of darkness who experienced like real human triumph and real human suffering hashtag metal <laughs> the metal of, of catholicism but i wonder if we're not painting like modern or postmodernism, like the era we're living in back onto these saints to try to make them feel more relatable to us sometimes it feels to me more like the way we paint superheroes like tony stark iron man being one of the most lovable characters in the mcu is that way because people like that he's a broken person that he's an alcoholic you know there's a line it was in the the commercial for for one of the avengers movies you know what do you have if you take away the suit well i'm a genius billionaire playboy philanthropist and i think we like you know we call it that he's human you know that we call the brokenness his humanity but i actually don't think that is i think we're i think we paint a picture of humanity that's really dark and broken instead of calling people to more and greater Yes, but you never saw the end of of um, well. I don't. I didn't. Yes, but it it takes a turn that 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 doesn't really hold up. Iron Man ends up being a Christ figure. He sacrifices himself for everyone. Well, right, and Mother Teresa ends up being a Christ figure, but it doesn't change the fact that her storytelling, including darkness, I'm questioning the storytelling, not the ultimate outcome. Okay. Okay. So then here's where, where I would um, argue with you, is isn't that the the great part about saints, is that there is, they are so accessible no matter what age. They have stood the test of time, and so they're so, in becoming holy, in becoming who they were made to be, they are so multifaceted, um, and they are so um, of the essence of Christ that they, they I guess, we can view them in, in what, wherever we're at in time. They, you know, let me say it this way. They are truly outside of time. They stand the test of time. <laughs> you rely too heavy on that phrase. I, I love I think, that. I think, you're, I think you're cutting off the discussion by trying to make a premise that, that short circuits it, though. So my problem isn't that some saints have dark periods. I think knowing the dark periods of saints can make them more accessible to us. My argument would be, I think sometimes we have become over-focused on the dark, gritty parts of saints. 
even if you go back, like Augustine is, you know, from the 400s, uh, and he wrote the Confessions, and the Confessions are mostly his dark parts. Pretty bad. They're, they're, they're talking a lot about his dark parts, but the reality is, Augustine is a figure that did a lot of amazing and wonderful things, too. He wasn't a saint just because he had dark parts, and he certainly wasn't a saint just because he overcame those dark parts. His sanctity, you know, like all the saints at some point, also hinge on their heroic virtue and their and their adherence to the church and the things they did for the people of God. But see, here's the thing, though. You said heroic virtue. I think the this the knowing the whole story, the knowing how, and you know maybe it's because I am very <laughs> apparently I am very American. It's the the comeback story. It's the underdog story. Knowing the bottom makes the 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 height they reach all the much higher. I could see that argument, except that I think we start liking underdogs because they they give us hope. And I don't know that focusing on the low points always gives us that hope. No. Well, you, go ahead. You certainly can't obsess over the low points. I mean that that is a, that brings you a, an assortment of issues, you know, spiritual, psychological, you know, et al. However, I, I think I think you need to see the full picture um in order to be able to make a relationship, but then also I think it 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 is the I think it does give you hope. The the point of saints is to give you hope. Um because hope is is the gospel. Full circle. No, it's but, the good news. But again, you're 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 sort of short circuiting the argument. For the saint to give you hope, there has to be more than their dark period. Oh, for sure. For but, sure. And I no and doubt. my whole my whole conversation with this is how important is the dark period and how much do we emphasize it? Because if you contrast the story, like, so Come Be My Light is essentially an autobiography. It's her letters, right? Right. Um, Mother Which Teresa's letters. she never wanted published. That's neither here nor there. Uh-huh. So you you have what's essentially a memoir or an autobiography, which is very personal. It's from a personal perspective. It's, uh, in a sense, it's in the moment. It's not looking backwards. It's it's letters. It's, it's journal entries, things like that. And you contrast that with something like The Golden Legend. The Golden Legend was like the same well not autobiography the saint encyclopedia from like the mid 1200s so it's a very different way of storytelling Uh, and these saints i mean they really are painted like superheroes they're probably too gold washed you have these saints who are renowned for their miracles renowned for their holiness they never are tempted or if they're tempted they always overcome it you know if they're met by the devil they always you know they punch him in the face or they they run away and hide and I certainly, I think that way of storytelling has its flaws too. So my argument isn't that we should throw out Come Be My Light and bring back the Golden Legend. But I think there's something really good um, and important about emphasizing that the saints were superhuman. Not because they weren't human, but because they had a, a supernatural influence of grace. That grace, the grace of God worked in their life in a really strong and powerful and real way. I was going to catch you in your wording, but you, you, you ready the ship. Anyway. <laughs> it's um, hard to be theologically accurate when I'm talking on a microphone, but we try. Two things. Two things. So, number one, um, I think what you just said, though, going back to the golden legend you what year did you say it was from 1250s so it's from it's from 1250 give or take i think the style in which it's written says just about as much about the people who were reading it well okay people who were listening to it and and sharing the stories as it does almost as much as it does the saints themselves because think about it back then people didn't have a lot of didn't have a lot of power right um, and they were very much focused on, they had very little at their disposal. When it got dark, it got dark. Unless you, you know, you had a candle, you had uh, enough lard to, to fill the lamp, whatever. So 
hearing these stories about these people who were superhuman, who did these things, who, who went beyond the bounds of humanity, who levitated, who did, you know, whatever. I think that that's what they needed to hear at the time. And that gave them hope, um, you know, come, come into 2020 or, you know, even, even the 19th and 20th centuries, you, you start to have humanity doing things different. We do have more agency. We have electricity. We have the car. We have, you know, um, we have factories. We start to have mass production. Um, we start to have more luxury items. We start to have more leisure, blah, blah, blah. So the thing is, is that um, I think that is when you start hearing these these gritty stories and still continue to see these these gritty saints being made. Saint Jose Sanchez del Rio was, was martyred very graphically. In, it, wasn't, in Mexico. it wasn't. It wasn't. Oh, yet they cut off the bottom of his feet. That's and the made most him graphic walk. part. Okay, but then, but you could tell that story from a perspective of look at the amazing supernatural faith, the the grace that must have been bestowed on that thirteen year old boy that he, with the soles of his feet cut off, still had the power to say "Viva Cristo Rey." Yes, but when you flip it, the other side of the coin, coin, and I think <laughs> the other side, side of the, the coin. Oh, the children of the corn. Oh my gosh, this actually fits. Um, the other side of the coin, and I think is equally um, equally valuable, is this was just a kid. This was a kid who, who could have run off, who could have done any millions of things um, or been interested in anything else. It, it, and because of that, because of that smallness, again, also going back to, to Mother, what Mother Teresa said, because of that smallness, it reflects Christ so much more. Because the darkness reflects, or I'm sorry, the darkness doesn't reflect the light. The darkness um, illustrates the light. I guess, or, or um, con- maybe I should say, contrasts the light. Doesn't illustrate the light. Light. The darkness contrasts the light all the more and makes it even more visible. Possibly, I think you're speaking a little too much from Sarah's perspective and not not objectively having this conversation. Like, yes, the light, the darkness contrasts the light. So when you see the darkness of evil, when you see the darkness of pain that's inflicted upon somebody, it does shine forth the light of the sacrifice all that much more. Shines forth all the clear. All the clear. Shine out all the clear. We have enough Tolkien quotes that are going to come into this, don't worry. But I think the important thing is that that darkness is external. I mean, contrast Jose Sanchez del Rio or Blessed Miguel Pro, um, who were put to death by the Cristeros in in, uh, Mexico with... Great book, by the way, is uh, The Power and the Glory by Graham Greene about that era. Sorry, go ahead. Sidebar. Com- contrast that with st- with stories like the martyrdom of perpetual infelicity. You know, they're like there's no denying the darkness. They were you know killed by mad heifers, right, and then ultimately put together, but put to death by the sword in in the Colosseum. But you know, you contrast that. You know, that story has plenty of darkness, but it doesn't try to paint perpetual infelicity like with their dark, gritty backstories. Like they're holy women, they're catechumens who who desire to come to the church are ultimately baptized and martyred. It doesn't take away their humanity, but it really emphasizes the the supernatural faith that they have you know because that story is important the supernatural faith is what gives us hope you know granted they were they were human beings they were mere mortals like ourselves you know we can put ourselves in their shoes but it doesn't try to like pander or condescend that you know to make them too human we try to overemphasize the brokenness to make the saints accessible and the reality is like they're accessible because they're human beings what makes them important what makes their stories important is that they did things that most people choose not to do and people and more of us should choose to do and should desire to do 
So I can see, okay, so there, I can see from what you said, there is a danger, um, in, there's this danger with anything, but there is a danger of making the saints into an idol. If you focus too much on, on their humanity and too much on they did this, they chose, they from, or I should say maybe through their power, they accomplished. So I guess I would agree with you there. And, and it is it is a slippery slope um, to, to kind of fall into that. But that being said, I, I think if you have a healthy understanding that, you know, again, the, the brokenness or in, in not just the brokenness, because um, Mother Teresa, the reason why I find her to be so interesting is unlike Augustine, she didn't sin. She didn't suffer what she did because of sin. That's the whole point of the dark night of the soul. It, it's not of the it's not the result of wrongdoing. Um, but she suffered it um, through be, I think she suffered it because of her holiness. So I, I, that's why I find it to be so interesting. But I, I think we're kind of just talking more about perspectives and, and preferences and what kind of no, I just I disagree. Person. I don't I don't I, I refuse to let this conversation get relativized in that way. Like I, you I, you and I clearly like different aspects of sainthood, and that's fine. There's a, a is it a Tolkien quote or a C.S. Lewis quote? C.S. Lewis quote. You know, since it's so likely that children will meet cruel enemies, let them at least have heard of brave knights and heroic courage. Otherwise, you are making their destiny not brighter, but darker. All right? And that's why my framing device is like, you know, would the modern telling of, uh, you know, Blessed Jose Sanchez del Rio, I think he's Saint Jose Sanchez now. No, he's Saint. And, you know, or would the modern telling, you know, if, if Ignatius had read Come Be My Light and not the Golden Legend or not the History of Saints, would he have gone on to found the Jesuits? And I don't know. I mean, it is possible that. You know, I don't have access to right now the same book that Ignatius read. I'm sure it's out there. I'm sure someone does. But, I, I mean, I don't have it in front of me. I think we, this has become my favorite heresy over the course of quarantine. Uh, I think we have this bad tendency toward presentism. I think we read backwards into the saints because they're people we already look up to because we, we're told that they're holy. And we, wanna, we want to make them accessible to us, but we want to like, we want to make them feel very real. Well, the very real people that we know are very broken. And I so I think we try to we try to to ma- to uh, to mine from the lives of saints all this this brokenness and this humanity and this darkness, uh, and and that's fine if it helps make that accessible. I don't have a problem with that. But I think if you divorce that that darkness from the light, or if you you overemphasize their so-called humanity when what we really mean is their sinfulness or their brokenness or their accessibility, you fail to see the reason that they're saints at all. I mean, like, I think that, that their heroism and their, uh, I mean, their sanctity, their virtue, like, the things that make them truly unique and, and worthy to be saints, you know, their exemplary lives, if you divorce that because you're trying to tell uh, a story of how real they are, you're going to make a mistake. You're not going to lead people to virtue and holiness. You're just going to make them look up to Mother Teresa in the same way they look up to Abraham Lincoln. And I agree with you. I, I do think there is definitely a danger there. And, and there is no saint without Christ. That we, we have to have that understanding or else they are an idol. Like you said, you know, they're like Abraham Lincoln or Gandhi or, you know, it becomes an idol well, on not, its own. Not just an idol. An idol is something you worship. They, they become like just no. a figure. No, I mean, yeah, a figure, but they also become an idol. They do. But l- let me let me throw this at you. So... St. Ignatius, one of the things, one of the things in the Jesuit tradition that, that is, is widespread is, is this way of praying where you put yourself 
in a story in scripture, usually in the Gospels, correct? Mm-hmm. I, I'm not Jesuit educated. Um, but in the Gospels, and and you emote. You're supposed to. You're supposed to emote with the 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 story. So, when you think of that, which supposedly came from Ignatius, right? Mm-hmm. When you think not, of, not supposedly it came from Ignatius. Okay, making sure. I mean, I don't know. I I haven't been through there. But anyway, I I think I think Ignatius absolutely would have been converted by our modern understanding of saints. If if he clearly was drawn to that that way of of connecting to Christ, then he, you certainly, again, if you're doing it correctly, you certainly, if you can relate to the saints in a healthy way, you 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 are supposed to be drawn to Christ. That again, that's the whole point. Saints point directly to Christ. Okay, um, interesting. So you you said two parallel things that. <laughs> uh, let me just say it this way. The the story of Ignatius and, and being able to pray with the application of the senses only works because of it goes backwards. He arrived at the application of the senses because he first knew the direction that he was going. Like he experienced Christ not because he applied his senses to the story these complex stories of very human saints, but he had a supernatural story of saints, an experience of God which definitely pointed him to the end, which was God, heroic virtue, sanctity. And then was able to read that back into scripture and develop a form of prayer that that had access to the grittier parts of saints. It wouldn't have worked in reverse. It, it was really only because of having that experience of the end, the glory, the heroism, the virtue, that Ignatius was ever even ent- able to enter into to prayer and applying himself to the Gospels. The heroism and the end had to come first. I would argue, what is supernatural about a cannonball, a probably shabbily made one at that, blasting through your knee. That's all pretty uh, corporal and, and corporeal, I should say, and, and painful. And But the, the cannonball through his knee didn't make him a saint. It was only because he became a saint that you can look backward and say the, see the importance of the cannonball. I mean, if you look at Augustine and his confessions, it's only because Augustine became the doctor of the church and the bishop and and this holy convert that you can look back and, and he, that he can look back and see the importance of why stealing a pear was his, you know, his worst sin and what was so wrong about that. Or even Mother Teresa, it's only because of her like amazing sacrifice, self-sacrifice, her devotion to the Eucharist and knowing that it was only because of, of sharing with, sharing in the presence of the Eucharistic Lord that she could serve the people of Calcutta. Like if it wasn't for all the amazing things she did, and especially for her, like being awarded stuff by the UN and using that platform to talk out against abortion, then nobody cares that she was a, a girl from Albania who joined the Sisters of Laredo and then felt the suit. Like, nobody cares about the dark night of the soul if she died a nun who didn't do any of the heroic things she did. But I'm I'm not done with the cannonball. Uh, because one, the cannonball's sweet, and two, because this. The cannonball is that low point. The cannonball is, is the... It, without the cannonball, you don't have the, that low point where Na- Ignatius is is forced to sit and contemplate. You don't. I mean, that's his rock bottom. That's the whole point of the story. It's not the whole point of the story, but it is his rock bottom. I agree with one point and reject the other. No, I mean, it's not the whole point of the story of his life, but that's the whole point of the cannonball. Why tell the cannonball? Well, because you're getting to, okay, well, then he had this time of, of convalescence, and he read through all his night novels, which apparently they had back then. And no, he, then did, he, ended did, up he didn't have night novels. That's why he read the Bible and the oh, stories. I, the, the way same. I always heard it is that he read through all of them and got mad, and then his nurse gave him No, that. he was mad because they didn't have any. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Okay, but you, you seize on the whole point of why this topic came to mind is uh, I just don't think... I don't think we tell stories the right way anymore. And this is broader. I think it's important to talk about the Saints, but I think it's also true of wider stories. Um, moving I was, the goalposts. No, 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 no. I'm not at all moving the goalposts. I mean, you think about, like, um, I railed against Disney stories at one in maybe our first podcast. Um, but, like, if you look at Disney princesses right now, almost all of them come from broken homes. I think the only one we, we could come up with that wasn't was Mulan, who had two parents. Uh, even Frozen, um, she has two parents, and then they die in a shipwreck at the very beginning of the movie. Um, and they wash up on shore in Inception. Isn't there a theory about that? No, but they, they're they all connected. They're related to Rapunzel or something. Oh, yeah, 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 never mind. Um, yeah, but all, all the Disney princesses come from broken homes. Um, all of the superheroes that we love, like, none of them, they're always misfits. You know, you look at Batman as my favorite superhero. I'm not really big into superheroes, but I know Batman. <laughs> Um, you know, Batman. Batman only becomes heroic because his parents die. Because he he dons the 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 mask and the or what is it, the cape and the cowl and becomes the caped crusader and all of those things. We're we're attracted to this brokenness in superheroes, and then we like that they do good, but we're not really attracted anymore to the goodness. Whereas if you look at early Disney princesses or like when Superman was first created, uh, what you were attracted to was the fact that. They, they were incredibly good. They were like uh, superhuman versions of yourself. You were, you were a, they were a human being that you could aspire to be, but most people weren't. And now we do the opposite. We don't paint some, uh, some teleology, some end that we really care about and love and like desire to or aspire to. Uh, we just paint human beings who are a little better than us or who have more money than us or more power than us or more uh, ability and affluence than us, something like that. That's a very good point. That's a very good point. So you said that that we used to love Superman, let's say, um, because of his goodness or his wholesomeness or his virtue, right? Um, and now instead we love characters like Batman. I'm, I'm really thinking about the Dark Knight. I haven't really seen any of the, the more recent Batmans. Or let's go back to Iron Man. We, we like Iron Man because of his brokenness, right? Um, I, I still think it's the exact same thing. We're just doing the same thing in reverse. It, it's just like, the again, the other side of the coin. Um, I, I think maybe, you know, in the past, um, maybe people were... I, I think, you know, if you, th- if you talk about Superman, Superman came out during World War II, isn't it? Superman was created during World War II. You needed the supreme positive. You needed the supreme goodness um, because everybody was so saturated with the extreme evil. Um, it was in their face every day. And who knows? Maybe we'll see something similar come out of out of this pandemic. I don't know. History will 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 tell. But I think since then, what happened was is our culture got a little sick of the supreme good. It was again, it got gold wash. It got too remote. It got too false. Um, and and maybe it in itself became an idol. Um, you know, there's the the old um, saying: cleanliness is next to godliness. I think it just became cleanliness, right? Um, or cleanliness is godliness. So, you know, everything's simple, everything's beautiful, everything's good. Um, and so people people turned away from that um, to find stuff that was more complex and unfortunately to find stuff that was dark and they stayed in dark. Um, but I, So I think, though, 
in this situation where people are still are so drawn to that brokenness because they just want something they can relate to or they just want something um, that's even in their ballpark to achieve, I think the dark parts of saints shines through all the brighter. I think it's all the more important because again, I, I'm not talking about just focusing on the dark parts of Augustine. You, po- you focus on the dark parts of, of Augustine, he's disgusting. Like I want nothing to do with him. Um, I would probably throw away his, you know, confessions at that point and be like, this is trash. Um, and it's offensive to me. Um, but so it's, you have to take the saint, their entire witness. It's because it's that entire witness that draws back to Christ. It's, it's that Christ through the intercession of the saints, literally through their lives, going into that murk, going into that darkness and shining a light and, and, and showing you a way out, a way forward. A way to goodness. I think you proved my point by trying to negate it, though. Um, That's my favorite thing to do. (laughs) Which is... It's like angry agreement, but a little more annoying. Uh, Argue with me for 40 minutes only to say exactly what I'm saying, but in the wrong way. (laughs) Um, I think the problem with modern storytelling is that we've traded goodness for nuance. That is very true. When in what the reality is, is we need to see goodness for all of the true complexity that it is. We didn't, by the way, plan this resolution. <laughs> we just we just happened here. I didn't think we were going to resolve, um, but I think I think there's true. I think if you look at um, basically almost all modern stories, one of the reasons I like Harry Potter so much is they it largely stay away from the ambiguity of you know good is just uh, slightly well good is human and bad is misunderstood. Harry Potter pretty much stays true to the good is good and bad is bad without whitewashing either too harshly. But, like, you know, to to stay on my Disney example, older Disney, a princess was a princess, and they, you know, being a princess, being a prince was a good thing, and witches were evil, and, like, was that too black and white? Probably. You know, you didn't have complex backstories for Cinderella, um, but you did have the idea that a princess could find could find her prince, or that true love was something to aspire to. And I think now, you know, if you look at like what's the highest good of modern Disney princesses? It's like, well, it's empowerment or individuality. Like those aren't bad things. I'm not at all knocking them. Um, but there's something. There's some greater good in the world than individuality. There's some greater good in the world than altruism or empowerment. So I think I think when we talk about like when we need to t- we tell the the lives of saints, like we need to tell all of the parts of their lives, the good and the bad, but the idea is that it all turns out right in the end. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, but that's what I keep saying though, is you need to have the entire witness again. <laughs> well, it's not, that is what you just said. That's not what you kept saying. What? Anyway, I I, I want to go back and respond to a couple of your points. I agree with you. I agree um, that I think we have made an idol out of, you can coin back to that. We've made an idol. That is not what I said for the record. That was your take on it, but I think it's it's a good take, but it's not what I said. I think we've made an idol out of the new, out of the novel. Um, you know, that's the How I Met Your Mother. New is always better. Um, and I only have one rule. <laughs> new is always better. And and that absolutely is not true. And I think we're 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 finding that out. But that being said, I think once again you're talking. We're talking about what the people at the time needed and, and what we need now, where we are as, as a culture and, and maybe as a humanity. Well, yeah, now. Um, so again, go back to, go back to early Disney, right? So you said, you said that, you know, you knew there were the good guys and the bad guys. You always knew who was what the bad guys maybe were, you know, a little comical, a little bit ridiculous, kind of like scar. 
um, in the original one, not the new one. The new one is so disappointing. But anyway, that's that's for another day. But it was very consistent. The, the evil is evil. It's not just understood. Maybe maybe a little bit, but for the most part, evil ends up being rotten the whole way through. And good may stumble, but good good always overcomes. Right. Um, again, if you're looking back, you had all these these huge illustrations of evil. Again, I'll go to World War II. What could be more of an illustration of evil than than the Nazis than the Axis powers? So you so you had this literal evil, which at that point they thought was on their doorstep or looming, you know, somewhere off in the sky. You had this constantly on your mind. Well, then what's the opposite? We're the good guys. We're going in to help. This, you know, once again, this wasn't where it's especially you know as Americans, this wasn't this isn't on our land it's not on our shores just yet um we're going over to to assist we're going over to help right we are the good good versus bad there's no there's no um there's really no need to 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 get more nuanced than that and then stuff changes i I think you're leaning too heavily on my second favorite heresy which is relativism uh i really i really think no but i think you are i think i think trying to say that like well the way we told stories in World War II because good and evil were so blatant don't hold up in, in you know, 2020. It's like, well... I'm not saying that they don't hold up. We should look... I mean, evil is evil. Um, good is good. And that's why, again, I can't say it enough. We need to look at the entire witness of these saints. We need to look at the turnaround. Um, I always... I, I One of the, um, the projects I like to do with my confirmation kids is I wrap up in just literal miles at this point of saran wrap all these different saints who and their descriptions who have done all i picked the saints who have done the worst things paul who killed people augustine is one of my favorite ones pretty sure i put ignatius in there because he's a playboy um i think i do moses the black and and so forth but (laughs) (laughs) with no explanation i'm just gonna put his name out there he he killed people and hid in a monastery um but I always emphasize to them, because it is really interesting to go like, oh, this guy killed people, or, you know, Peter betrayed Jesus, betrayed God himself. Or the, the guy who was a satanic priest in Rome. Oh, yeah, 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 blessed Bartolo Longo. It's, it's, super, it's super interesting to read all those, those interesting facts. You know, it's a little shocking when, I, when they're trying to figure out, because they, they have to match, right, the description of the saint to the saint. So it's, it's a little shocking when, you know, they find St. Peter and they're looking for betrayed Christ. But it's always, I emphasize to them, it's always important to, that they have the turnaround. We only call St. Paul saint and not the murderer Paul or, you know, someone on, on par with Judas, almost, because he had the conversion and because he, you know, literally traveled the world sharing the good news, the turnaround is so, so important. So I, 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 I'm not saying that, you know, I, and we've talked about this in, in previous podcasts, I'm not saying we, the elite humanity of 2020, um, who knows everything, you know, we really, we have our advanced brains have the nuance and, and we're looking at saints the right way. No, I'm saying though, we're, we're at a part in our, our history of humanity where we we are in the muck and we need the light of saints to shine through that i think that doesn't dull the goodness it makes the goodness 
all the more true and all the brighter. That's exactly what I'm saying. My whole point my whole point is that the turnaround, the conversion, the goodness, the virtue, like that's what the world needs. We know we're in the muck. We understand the muck. It's good to see saints who have overcome the muck. And yeah, yeah, you need to describe the muck. I'm going to stop saying muck cuz I'm sure that's going to sound bad when I'm editing. Yeah, <laughs> when you see saints Sorry folks. When you see saints muck with an m. When you see M-M-M. saints in the mud, there you go. <laughs> who, who have overcome it? It gives us hope that we can overcome it too. But, but you need but, but you need to show the overcoming. But you need to show you need Which to, I'm not denying that but you, you need, need to have you need to be show that you're close. We are we are a culture of of a, all right, so I'm talking about at least we'll just speak on American culture, right? Then <laughs> I know that best. We are a culture of immediate gratification. We have everything at our fingertips. We are panicking because we can't get haircuts or go eat at a restaurant right now too real we so if we are it, what i'm saying is if we if we over focus on you know i'm gonna back up on that we are predisposed that's what i mean we are predisposed to to feel that the muck of the saints is more accessible or closer than the goodness it's the hook it's the thing that we can grab on. It's the coattails that we can grab onto. No, I disagree. And, and that's the, hence this podcast. This has been an interesting conversation. I think if you paint the Virgin Mary, at, who doesn't experience pain in childbirth, who doesn't break a sweat, who doesn't experience temptation, who whatever, all of the things that we, we traditionally paint these like hagiographic uh, gold, what did I say? Gold washed pictures of Mary, then Mary is completely unaccessible. Mary might as well be an archangel. She has nothing we can, we can attach ourselves to. But if you paint a mother Teresa or a, or an Augustine as only somebody who was a profound sinner, who was the one person, I'm not going to use that phrase, who was the 0.0002% of people in humanity who kind of squeaked by because God specially blessed them, then you don't make sainthood any more accessible. You've just made the muck accessible. It has to be a both and. I, that, that's what I've been saying the whole time. That's what I've been saying the whole time. That's, that's what I've been saying. You just want to say the last word. You need you need to have Cuz I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to let that sit. <laughs> Slow burn. And, no, you, and you need done. you need to have the honest goodness. You need to have the virtue of Blessed Jose Sanchez del Rio saying Viva Cristo Rey. You need to have John Paul II forgiving his would be forgiving his would be assassin. You know, you need to have Mother Teresa caring for the poor in Calcutta. Like you have to tell that part of the story and emphasize it because because what else are people going to aspire to? But in order to get them there, you have to tell about John Paul being educated on the underground, you know, being a forced labor in Poland. You have to tell about Mother Teresa and the Dark Knight of the Soul. You have to tell about, I mean, all of the dark, you know, CDDs, you know, St. Augustine stealing pears and, and knocking up a woman. You have to tell the both and. And I just think that we sometimes tend so much to make saints accessible that we fail to, to give us, to give people the shining example that they need. You said exactly what I think, and then you came to a totally different conclusion. I find it all the more endearing that Jose Sanchez del Rio was, was well, I think it was 13, or was a, was a teenager. I find it all the more endearing that Mary was a teenager, had to ride, you know, nine months pregnant or eight months pregnant, who knows, on a donkey for how long, gave birth in a stable with just, you know, her, her husband or what, were they even married yet? Endearing makes them novelties. 
We need we don't need endearing figures. We need heroes. But but that once again that only maybe for me maybe I haven't we been. We agree. Saying, Why couldn't we have just wrapped it up in a conclusion? Oh, because that's not fun. Um, for me, but let's take JP two. Anytime Sarah says for me, I can largely assume that she's speaking specifically for her and oh, not yeah. not widely applicable to humanity. Oh, that's for sure. <laughs> I, I have no problems with that. Why would I, you? I only have problems with that when it comes to concluding a podcast. Why would you let me have? Yeah, why would you let me have a platform? That any- <laughs> why would anybody do that? Mistake. <laughs> um, Anchor.fm. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, even even for the internet, it's shocking. <laughs> <laughs> so let's take let's take JP two. JP 2s goodness. JP 2s virtue his his forgiveness his him being christ-like in forgiving his his would-be assassin is all the more so you you hear that right you you hear that he's pope you see him in the robes you know the whole all white thing fluttering in the wind and all that looking majestic um so you see you see jp2 and so you know that he's good number one you know that he's good because he's the pope I disagree. I don't think people know that the saints are good. I think that the peop- that many people, and I'm speaking, okay, I'm speaking a lot about like kids I teach in confirmation and uh, you know teenagers in youth group that I've had who are struggling with the faith. I don't think people know that saints are good. I think they know that saints are historical figure that the church thinks are important. And the church saying such so-and-so is important is not the same as saying St. Paul is my confirmation saint because even though he persecuted Christians, even though St. Paul was a first century boss, you have you have to tell both parts of the story. You have to tell the part of him, him persecuting first century Christians, but more importantly, that he was blinded, that he had a real experience of Christ, that he, that he had a conversion, and from that on out, went and did the amazing things and converted so many people for the faith. We're definitely saying the same thing at this point. So you're right. We need to sell the whole point saints exist is is to tell the story of Christ, is to reflect Christ. Um, so you're right. If, if you're not talking about how the how Christ changed St. Paul, then you're right. You're not talking about a saint. You're talking about a dude, and then it's an autobiography, and you're right. You might as well be reading about Abraham Lincoln or JFK or I don't, I don't care who you pick. So yes, if there is no Christ in the story, then they're not a saint. I'm not saying that we should make blockbuster hits out of these saints. What I am saying, though, is that it, using the darkness as a um, as a draw or or as as contrast, not the important part of the story, but but rather as as something to to make Christ shine all the brighter. I think that's an important element, and I think there was a time where we we whitewashed those things, or maybe, like you said, goldwashed them. We we softened them, we dulled them, um, because we didn't want to deal with, with, you know, explaining some unmentionable things. Again, St. Augustine's a great example of that. We didn't want to deal with the messiness. I don't think St. Augustine was goldwashed, but you do have it like... Exactly, that's why I like him. (laughs) Sarah only likes about four saints, and they're all the ones who have dark backstories. That is not true. Um... Not true. I true, but here this is going to be moving the goalpost. But I think it's an interesting point. Mm. Um, Power through. <laughs> I think when you say let Christ shine in, and the darkness highlights that more, you're you're not doing justice to the fact that the most lev- the most light moment of that Christ has 
is the darkest moment ever in humanity. But no, what? That's exactly what I'm saying. It's that paradox. <laughs> you and I are saying the crucifixion is the most important mo- moment in history, and I'm saying that the crucifixion is the brightest light that's ever shined in humanity, and you're saying the crucifixion is the darkest moment ever, which is why the light of the crucifixion no, shines so bright. No, okay, let me let me let me clarify <laughs> which is, myself. Which is the darkness. I don't know how I'm gonna edit this whole last part. <laughs> the darkness is an accessory. No, light. no, the darkness isn't an accessory in the crucifixion. The darkness is important. No, in the saints, I, I'm talking about. Y- you need the light. In, in the crucifixion, that's that's the beauty of it. That's that's the wonderfulness of it. Um, that's the beauty of a, a, a crucifix because we literally wear a dead corpus. The, the body of Christ on a crucifix is called a corpus. What does that sound like? Corpse. We are walking around with dead trees with a dead guy on it. Usually dead. Sometimes you have a resurrected corpus. Don't wear a resurrectifix. They're not important. What? <laughs> the crucifix... Anyway. Oh, you just undid it anyway. That's a story for another. Uh, The resurrection is important. Wearing a resurrexifix is not. Uh, All right. Anyway. It's a story for another day. I'll cut this whole part. The darkness of Good Friday, the paradox of Good Friday, the irony of Good Friday. We call it Good Friday, the irony of the cross. The irony of the fact that we literally walk around and not Alanis Morissette irony. Don't you dare. The irony of saying irony. Don't you dare bring that up. Um, it's a traffic jam. Oh, and already for late. heaven's sake! <laughs> the irony of the fact that we walk around with with crucifixes as our symbol that we are Christians. I, I think that is the beauty. That's the enduring beauty of Christianity. I mean, but I I think something that is is really draw that draws me. Because fine, you're right. I, I will speak for me. The thing that draws me is that God is so um, varied, so big. So because he is so big, and I, I'm trying to understand him in human terms, he is ironic. He is paradoxical. Um, and, and there's a complexity in there that calls me deeper, deeper. I mean, the, Pas- the Paschal Mystery, it just, it, it, we, are, we are called to go deeper into it, right? That irony, for me as a person, just eternally draws me deeper. And so I, when I find that in the saints, again, when I keep saying you need the complete witness of saints, you need to have wherever Christ fits into the picture and, and all the way, you know, until death. But when you have that, it, it, it inspires goodness. It inspires virtue um, because I, it, I can take that into the darkest parts of my day, in the darkest parts of whatever I'm doing, um, and, and it still fits. It still works. It still resonates. And I'm and I'm totally the opposite. So like my my confirmation saint is Saint Matthew, um, because even as an eighth grader, I was really inspired by the fact that some tax collector could turn his whole life around and put it at service of following Jesus. And it's it's actually a weirdly good example that I don't have to force. Like I don't really know anything about Matthew other than that he was a tax collector because it wasn't the nitty gritty details of his life that attracted me to him. It was his conversion and the life he lived after his conversion. So yeah, I, I thank you for having this conversation with me. I, uh, I'm still convinced in my end that I think, uh, of course I am. Why am I not surprised? I, I do think we need to emphasize to the world the importance that like sanctity is possible. That the people who Absolutely. the people who became saints were normal human beings like us who did great things that we could do. You know, not things that were not the golden legend where they're you know they're superheroes. They were born on Krypton and came to Earth 
to do holy things. Like they're human beings who made choices to say yes to God uh, and do holy things because God, God blessed them to. God gave them the grace to build on the nature of their lives. I'm going to add this into a win for me. How dare you? <laughs> Hi, I'm Zach. And I'm Sarah. And this is Run Half. Half- Stop oh, doing it! Stop doing it! Okay, one more time.